Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cover Vet Chat. Today, um, we would like to talk about the impact of social media and to veterinary day-to-day -day veterinary medicine. Um, social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok have uh, revolutionized the way not only um, uh, um, celebrities are uh, communicating with uh, their fans, but also veterinary professionals are communicating via these platforms more and more. And it's now a vital way to show the general public what we as veterinary surgeons are doing. In the UK, one of the most known faces when it comes to veterinary medicine and social media is Cat Hanstridge, or better known as Cat the Vet. And I have to say, thank you very much, Cat, for joining us for this episode of The Cover Vet Chat. Hello. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. I'm, I'm flattered. Yeah, no, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm one of your followers, um, <laughs> at least on Instagram. And I mean, to, to, to give everybody an idea, I mean, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, it's also over 16,000 followers on, on Instagram, Facebook, I think hitting 24,000 people that mm -hmm. follow you there. I don't know, Twitter, any idea how many um, you might have there? I think it's just under 7,000 on Twitter yeah. and then I've recently joined TikTok and that's going very well and there's 260,000 followers yeah. now, so that's nice. Um, yeah, I, so yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest social media vet, certainly internationally anyway, by quite some quite some margin, um, but I, I just, I, I think it's great that people obviously like what I do and like to follow it and, you know, like and share and comment and because of like my overriding passion and the reason I started it all was just to be able to communicate to people about you know good veterinary medicine and animal welfare and put the vet's perspective in the public space um I just it's it's great that you know all of those people choose to have me in their social media lives because those messages are just so important I think to get out there and the more people that share and see and follow is you know the more I can the more I can champion this amazing profession because I think sometimes it isn't you know in the public space we are we do get a lot of a lot of negativity and that's you know what I hope to combat I have to say what I what I like most is are your TikTok clips they are short and sharp and they are always very sort of on one hand educational but there is such a playfulness with it which is great so it's just a so quick, okay, we have one issue and how can we sum it up in, yeah, I don't know, sort of 30 seconds or I, what, what's the maximum you can do on TikTok? I'm not quite sure. Is there a time limit for... for oh, it recently went to three minutes, actually. They decided to lengthen it. Um, but yes, you're right. I think it's, it, you know, and I'm, I'm part of this, you know, the, the attention span online is tiny. You know, I've got mm. this kind of a gnat. Uh, so keeping it short and sweet is is the key yeah 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 um it's also so i mean you're also one of the uh, presenters uh, at the pets factor which is a cbbc program that is already running for the last four years and again the audience there's are usually more sort of younger viewers although some of these programs they are so good and and a lot of i mean 
I sometimes watch these programs because I see they're just so well done and just see the sort of certain, what shall I say, techniques uh, you and the co-presenters used to, to make it more understandable for, for pet owners, also for children. I use actually in my in in my consults as well because it's just I mean sort of uh, the the kids that are coming with their pets into our consult rooms uh, uh, today ten years later they are pet owners and and clients and 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 the, the earlier they have a good impression of our profession I think the better it is. Mm. Oh, absolutely. That's been a really fun project to be involved in. Currently, there's no plans to do any more series, but there's um, eight series out there now. Uh, so, yeah, that was a real like extra string to my string to my bow. They can't they and I didn't I wasn't like headhunted or anything. They advertised in the veterinary press. Um, and so, you know, I've got a reasonable amount of camera experience. So I applied and, you know, one thing led to another and I'm one of the guys on the show. But yeah, it's absolutely, it's a brilliant show. Um, such a lot of fun to film and to be involved in and to just see a different, a completely different industry. How does it work? You know, when, when you see these things on the telly, how do they actually get to the telly? Um, mm. It's been, yeah, that's been really fun. A really fun project to be involved in. Let's, let's roll the time back a little bit. Sort of, first of Cat the Vet, so... How did it all turn out for you to uh, to become a vet? I mean, what what I know of your background, I think you you have a farming background, family background, sort of in farming. Um, or? Well, only if you go back a few generations. Um, oh, okay. My 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 family background. So my my mom is a doctor. So I've got loads and loads of medics in the family. Loads, mm. and, and um, you know, my grandparents were doctors. My aunts are doctors. I've got now for my generation, loads of my cousins are doctors. Um, so I came from this very medical background. And so, and I just, I decided at quite an early age, I preferred animals to people. <laughs> and so, so the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. You know, I, I did, uh, I took a, a sidestep, but a very sort of logical one. So yeah, so I've come from this very medical background. I was the first vet in the family for ever I have a sister who's I've got two sisters one of them is also a vet as well um so she's a bit younger than I am um so yeah so that's how I got in I you know and, and you know veterinary medicine is one of those careers isn't it where you say to a teacher I want to be a vet and they go well, don't be ridiculous it's really competitive and nobody ever gets in and you know maybe you should think about something else uh, but I was very fortunate to have you know really supportive teachers and a really supportive family for whom it was totally normal you know, it was completely normal to go to university and do that kind of go do that kind of thing. So, yeah, I was very fortunate, really, in in how how I was able to to get to vet med. It, it's a lot harder for some people. Yeah, yeah. I when whenever I have sort of children or, or teenagers sort of at the clinic and they say, then uh, yes, they want to become a vet. I always say, yeah, great, go for it. That's fantastic. Uh, the best you can do at the moment is work hard to get good exams. If later it turns out, well, they're not quite making the mark or they sort of make the mark, but then sort of they change their minds, not a problem. But as long as this is there is a goal, they, an aim for them to, to study and get good exam results, 
can't go wrong, I think. So it, it certainly opens more opportunities for them. Yeah, mm. this is a profession of a passion. This is a passion profession. Nobody goes into vet med thinking, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll give that a go. Everybody no. goes into vet med with an absolute laser focus for the animals and for wanting to help them. And that's, I think, why vets and other vet professionals are such amazing people because it, it comes from this point of passion and, and caring. Um, and it's hard, it's not perfect. There's a lot of things wrong with the profession, isn't there? And I think there's, you know, unfortunately some disillusionment because those passions and ambitions don't always, you know, match the reality of particularly vets in, you know, first opinion practice and in clinical practice. Um, but, you know, for the vast majority of us, it, it was a, this is a dream. This is a dream job. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, nevertheless, I, I, I sometimes find as they are selecting the brightest brains sort of uh, uh, out of a uh, uh, lot of students, sometimes think when they are then confronted with day-to-day -day practice, some are disillusioned because admittedly, I mean, a fair amount of our work uh, can be um not necessarily mentally very sort of no 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 mentally uh, it might not be extremely complicated this more you need compassion you need under you need good communication you need good understanding not only for the for the pet but also for the pet owner and these are things they they are not selecting for so you might be really fantastic in mass but you are you are, when it comes to the communication level, possibly not very good. Mm, so, and and then because of that, some people might be from an from a scientific point of view or from an intellectual point of view, uh, uh, under challenged in in the profession. I sometimes, but yet on the other uh, on the other hand, they are lacking certain certain features of the personality which are very very important in our job i think yeah it's it's hard i think the universities these days are actually doing a pretty good job of trying to select the right candidates but you're absolutely right it is a pool of brilliance you know you're taking the very best academically capable students uh, but you've also got to make sure that they've got great communication skills great interpersonal skills good common sense you know that's you know and you're absolutely right a lot of our job is very routine but it's routine it's routine to us it's not routine to the client and the pet owner and then um and then sometimes our job is really hard really hard and that can come in out of absolutely nowhere you know that you're dealing with a case that's gone wrong or a client that's very upset or you know you're holding a scalpel blade in theatre by yourself and you've got to do you know surgeries that you maybe aren't 100% confident about but you, you just got to crack on and get on with it and hope for the best and I think that you know that's that's the difficult thing about being a vet is you know half of the problem is the people <laughs> so whenever I get asked whenever people ask my advice you know how do I get into vet school or you know what what should I do M my advice is always you know get some experience with animals but generally most kids have you know they've that, that's why they want to be vets is because they've been around animals and decided that they like them but my other piece of advice is just get good with people go and work in a pub go and volunteer at an old people's home go and take some brownies out for the day you know just do something 
on a regular basis that will prove to the university that you are a good people person and I think that's where you know that that's where that's often missed isn't it you know it's all about it's, it is, our job is about our job is treating animals but actually our job is about people mm -hmm. um, and I had that where I often saw sort of saw examples of uh, uh, yes things sometimes not going particularly great in practice might be your fault, might not be your fault, but it's often also a question of just communication, communicating to the client why the case is so complex, why you might not come up with an answer right away, why we maybe never get a complete cure for a condition. As long as the owner is in uh, uh, well informed, then it's quite often, I mean, I had it quite often so that I was not particularly happy with the outcome of a case, but because the communication was good, the clients were actually happy. And then I had sometimes sort of uh, situations or I met colleagues who were absolutely brilliant, really good vet, much, much better than I was as a vet, but they had complaining clients again and again and again. And I thought, why is it? And I thought it is sometimes because they were not communicating well the work they had done on the pets so where they had done brilliant work but somehow they portrayed it to the client that it was now nah, well maybe not that great or i don't know if this is going to happen and the clients were actually not not happy i i don't know it's it's some people over or underselling themselves sometimes also just because of good or bad communication i find so that what you said yeah, sorry. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think that that's the art of veterinary medicine, isn't it? And you, it's very, it's very difficult to teach that. You know, so one of the big issues as a new graduate is you've got all this knowledge in your head and you know what you want to do with it, and then you've got to, you know, talk to a client and explain it in their terms so they can understand it, and then you're absolutely right. Set them up for. <laughs> you know, things maybe not going quite so well. And you go, well, here's the bill, it's 300 pounds, we've spent all this money and it's entirely possible I might actually not find out what's wrong with your animal. Or here's the surgery, we're going to do the surgery um, and everybody obviously really wants it to go well, but here's the risks of surgery and these are the things that can go, that can go wrong. And you're absolutely right, we have all had those cases where you just think that was a disaster. I did a terrible job, the animals died or something, you know, it's, you know and the clients, fabulously you know the one that springs to mind for me was a cat with in hindsight I was being probably a bit naive it had a great big lump on its side I stuck a needle in it out came loads of blood and I said right we need to try to remove this or we need to try to biopsy it I had it in theatre and long story short the cat died you know and it was just this humongous hemangiosarcoma or something absolutely awful mm -hmm. stuck on the side of the cat you know when you just start a surgery and you're like this is this is a disaster. I'm not going to get this out. This again. And then the cat just never recovered. And it just, it, it was just one of those horrible situations. And, and I, but because I'd, you know, spoken to the owner in a consult, created a relationship, admit the cat that morning, rang them as soon as it became clear that there was a problem and then rang them twice more in the day, you know, and I was absolutely tearing my hair out about this cat. And I was just so you know, you blame yourself. I was like, why didn't I see this coming? What have I done wrong? Something has gone horribly, you know, I'm a terrible vet. This patient has died and it's all my fault. And they were delightful and so kind. And so, and they were like, don't worry about it. You know, these things, you know, and because I'd, 
picked up the phone. Well, you tried. You tried your best. Yeah, but they but were, you just yeah. in the moment, you just are like, "That's it. That's it. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at my job. Why? You know, I've just killed this patient." Um, and I didn't even think at the time I'm you know, I'm counseling, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm covering my own back here and I'm being nice to these people. So they're nice to me. I was just trying desperately to sort the situation out and keep them informed. Um, and actually that worked out really well because they really appreciated that effort. Um, so yeah, it is, but that's, that's the other hard thing I think about vet med is that, you know, we charge people and the, the charges we have, they're, they're reasonable and, you know, we're not, overcharging but it's it, medicine is costly and people can spend hundreds of pounds and have a negative outcome or not get anywhere or you know get very frustrated and some and you know we have got to take the money do the thing but we're always aware in the back of our minds that it might not work or it might be seen as a as a as a waste um of money or you know we've chosen the wrong test and you know somehow you've got to take the money do the do the thing and you hope that it all comes off and it's all perfect, but sometimes it doesn't. And that's the real challenge. And then it all comes down on your head because this is a, you know, obviously we work in teams, but we're such independent professionals. There's no, it, you know, the doctors don't do it on their own like we do. The dentist, nobody does it on their own like we do. Um, and, you know, especially for new grads and young vets, it's a humongous challenge, humongous. Yep. And it's very, you can't, and you just kind of got to get, get on with it and go through it. I don't know how you would make it better. So just, uh, just to go a little bit back again, uh, that what I sort of researched, you are, you are based in South Yorkshire or? Yes, where yeah, I, I, live in, I live and work in Sheffield, which is a town in the sort of north of, of, of England. It's interesting um, because I, uh, in, the, in spring, I, you see, I from time to time do locums in places where, which I find interesting and I haven't been. You see, all the time I was in the, uh, uh, in, uh, working in the UK, I was only working in the southeast. So that's the area I know. It was never north. And then last spring, I did a locum in Bradford because I thought, come on. So if I want to be somewhere close to where James Harriet sort of worked. And I thought, it was great. It was absolutely entertaining and uh, um yeah i thought well why did i never sort of venture up up north but okay if you run your own practice you don't do locums and uh so once you've got a family and a job you don't you don't move around so no I am actually, it is actually my hometown it's 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 where i grew up so i've come back where i worked you know away for quite a while in my early career yeah, but, but it's, came home. Yeah, so but that's your own practice, or do you have that? No, no, I'm just no, I'm just an employee. I work part time. Um, yeah. I've just gone up to two and a half days a week, and it's a it's a really nice. It's an independently owned, you know, just very ordinary first opinion small animal practice. Um, mm. but they're very supportive, and they you know they like me and I like them so I've, I've worked in this clinic for about three years now and I'm very happy there mm, mm, mm. that's good and now so there you are sort of working as a veterinary surgeon how did this all come about CBBC um Instagram Facebook and sort of your sort of move to fame so how did that <laughs> all start and and 
how do you how do you fit it all in your sort of day-to-day -day practice and or do you well in your life sort of because that what we see is not all the work that that, that will go into it so okay. tell us a little bit about that at all um so i was i've been actually doing this for quite a long time and it just so i graduated worked in a very busy small animal practice in Wolverhampton and you know those first few years of practice are just full on aren't they you're just running as fast as you can to stay still it's mentally and physically completely exhausting and you know your just brain just never turns off because you've got no like you know like I was saying there's all, all these extra skills you have to pick up um, and then I got to about sort of three or four years qualified and it all started to calm down and I was feeling much more confident in my skills. I think, you know, you get to that. I think you get to like a four year point if you've worked full time up until that point. Um, and you're just a bit like, I've got this now. I can do this. I'm, I'm OK. And I got and I just had a bit of spare brain space, basically, at that stage. I've always quite liked writing as a kid and stuff. I'd, I never sort of continued through university you know, when I was at university social media wasn't a thing um also so, performing so theater or something like that did you no, do something no, like nothing like that oh. nothing no you know not above and beyond like you know the annual drama production at school when I was in the chorus um mm. but what motivated me was two things the first was at the time the internet was a bit of the wild west and I really have all I got to the point where actually one thing I found I was quite good at was communicating with clients and, you know, helping them understand and manage particularly chronic conditions. But what I was really struggling with was finding anywhere online where I could send them. I really, really like sending clients to the internet and saying, go to this website and read about this, you know, because I think the more informed our clients are, the more on board they are with their treatment, the more they understand what it is and why we're doing it, the, the you know, the more invested they will be and the better the outcome will be. And I just couldn't find anywhere. I just, there were the, you know, it was, it was at the stage when the internet was all like primary colors and terrible flashing images and, you know, Metacam kills was like one of the biggest websites. And it was just awful. So I thought, right, I'm going to write my own. <laughs> I'm going to mm. do this. I'm going to provide my clients with what I need and I'm going to write it. So I created a website of advice, which um, is, is still out there. It's, it's now called catthevet.com. And there's quite a lot of clinical advice on there, but it's it's very old now. I haven't had, I haven't got time to go back and change it, but most of it's fairly solid. So I haven't deleted it or hidden it or anything like that. And then that sat there for a bit. And then I started, so I, then I wrote all these webs, these pages of advice and then that took forever. Uh, and then I started blogging. So I started to write you know, little articles on my in my own time about funny things about vets and interesting cases and, you know, opinion pieces on all sorts of things, flat faces and crufts and animal welfare and geriatrics and all of that. Um, and then from there, it was a natural progression. You know, Facebook was a thing by then. So, you know, then it was a natural progression to get onto Facebook and start a Facebook page. And um, what really kicked it all off numbers wise was I wrote an article, I wrote a blog called why your vet won't give you credit. And it was all about why we charge for our services and why we don't you know, let you rack up a big bill and why it's important that you pay us because obviously it runs the practice. That and one that is one, still on catthevet.com. It is, yeah, yeah. I, saw that. Is. I didn't read it, but I, I saw it also. Oh, it is. And that went, that went insane. That was like, it had 50 or 60,000 shares. It was being read all over the world. It really struck a chord. 
and mm. completely internationally. And that's what then, you know, boosted my numbers out from like a couple of hundred people, you know, and it's your mum and all her friends who are supporting you into yeah. something a bit, something a bit bigger. And then from there, um, I, you know, then I, you know, Twitter and then I find it. And I've always been on the back foot about this. You know, I've only been on Instagram for a few years. Everyone else was on there before me. And I was like, no, I just don't have time for anything else. And then, you know, then, and then more latterly, I've started TikTok and that was, people were saying you should be on there about a year before I finally got around to doing it. Um, so so yeah and, and how it fits in with my life is it's just it's just a part of my existence I just mm. live and breathe this and I'm always thinking about what I can post and stuff I can talk about and you know interesting articles I've read and can share um and it's now it's just it's just a, it's a, just a part of my life it's an it's an all-consuming hobby it is it's just it, it sort of seeps into every day and all of my existence and I'm not sure whether that's necessarily terribly healthy sometimes um but I'm okay with it I'm a social media addict I'm always on my phone I like to know what's going on I'm a terrible gossip you know I want to know what's happening um so it slots very nicely it slots very nicely into my life but it does take it does take up an enormous amount of time huge huge amounts of time and you're always thinking about it Mm. No, I mean, whatever you do, it's sort of always very, very contemporary. As soon as there's sort of something sort of in the in the news, also it's usually so that that there is a comment of you sort of on this issue. Also, say I don't know, COVID puppies, for example, or as you said with the the brachiocephalics, for example, uh, and uh, uh, it's uh, uh, well. Obviously, that's that means you have to be with a finger on the pulse all the time. You have to see, okay, what what are our clients talking about? What is going on in the veterinary profession at the moment? And well, uh, and I want to rant and rave about it online. Um, mm. I do. I yeah. It's always always good to get to get a bit of ins inspiration. And sometimes I think, oh golly, you know, it is a bit. Sometimes I think oh, it's a bit egotistical. I've kind of managed to set myself up as like this voice piece for the profession. And, you know, people and, and, you know, is this do people really want to know what I have to say about things? And, you know, is it my place to comment anyway? Um, but then I think, no, I need some content. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an opinion and I'm not afraid to share it. And, and yeah. sometimes like, being a vet, you have a slightly and a vet in practice you do have a slightly different perspective on some of the things that come in into the news yeah. um and you know like like you say like the like the pandemic puppies everyone was banging on and on about how you shouldn't buy them mm -hmm. and you had to be really careful and of course you did but actually what you know a more a more subtle take which was my personal opinion was like okay cool buy a puppy if you're going to be at home for the next six months that's not actually the wrong decision you know to, to introduce a dog in that in that shape and form but here's some of the pitfalls that you might encounter and here's how to avoid them you know so where a lot of people were screaming don't buy a pandemic puppy and i was like i just don't think that that's you know they're going to do it anyway so let's help them do it right you know so yeah yep. no it's um uh it's uh, and it's also there's also these comical aspect you you have from time to time in it for example when you when you were running around with the altitude mask for example i thought this was, yeah, was, it was quite oops <laughs> yeah or like this 
No, but I, I thought this is so important because sometimes we, uh, vets come over sort of very serious uh, and then also somewhat boring. And, uh, and I'm not quite sure if we want to bring over a message to the general public. This is not going to happen if we just raise the finger and say, no, don't do this or don't do that and 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 then play the professional part here. But it just needs to be something that is easily understandable. And then obviously if, 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 if you are uh, uh, an opinionator like, like you are, that's, I think you achieve much, much more than a lot of scientific studies, which will yeah come out in scientific journals, but there you preach to the converted, so it's not good. That the people who need to be reached are the people who, yeah, just need need to follow yeah. somebody who says, okay, come on, this is straightforward. This is the situation how it is. And that is what you get if you buy one of these dogs. So this is how yeah, they're going to be. You're absolutely right. And I think that because I'm an independent person and sort of answerable to no one, I can be a lot franker and a lot freer than, you know, some of our governing bodies and, and things like that, you know. And the BPA, so the British Veterinary Association, have been very hugely improved over the past few years. But yeah, one of the reasons why I started again was that the, the, the po-facedness of some of the vet commentators in in the public space, you know, and you know, we, you know, you'd have a negative article about vets and how they charge or how they over-vaccinate. And they say it would say we reached out to the RTVS for comment, but they said no comment. And it just it just really frustrated me because there was nobody explaining or you know presenting our side of the argument at all of course it's not the rcvs's role i get that i get that's why they didn't comment on a lot of these things but neither did the bva neither did anybody else you know there was no they're much better now uh, but yes because i'm not beholden to anybody i can be quite frank in my opinions and um uh and the places and people that i've worked for have always been quite supportive of that so i've never you know some some practices and some particularly larger larger organizations are quite strict about their vets in the public space um which is a shame because you know we, we need to be able to speak freely sometimes and, and be given you know our you know just put trust you know at the end of the day we are professionals so we're not going to start swearing or ranting and raving or behaving you know we do have a we do have a professional responsibility particularly in the public space uh, but that doesn't mean you can't be passionate or uh, direct or funny or interesting so yeah that's thank you for saying that because that's exactly what I'm trying to achieve to be interested, also, educational yeah also what, what what I quite like is sort of you you come over pretty confident because I mean you you have now a fair amount of experience and uh, because of that sort of uh, it I find that also sometimes that that sort of I'm no longer afraid to say, for example, sorry, <laughs> I don't know. There are other people who know that much better than I do. Or uh, that I say, well, no, this doesn't work and I'm not supporting it. Where as a young graduate, I would have been sort of more, people would have intimidated me more or I would have been, what shall I say, sort of uh, non-committal also, but Having had, having seen a fair amount, I think it is now easier to say, well, 
this is the way how I see it. It might not go 100% conform with, with what other vets say, but this is how I see it day to day to day. And that's my take on it. And mm. I like that. I, I absolutely like it because, I mean, it's, 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 it's our personality and that's why people come to us or why people don't like us. I, I don't think a lot of people will come to you to, to ask for your advice on homeopathy, I would, for example, assume just to give an example. Yeah, and well, this is it. I mean, well, in my, I, I work actually very hard to keep my real life and my online life very separate. So very few of my clients know what I do I don't really talk to them about it I do take pictures of their pets sometimes um and I always ask for permission and explain but I don't I don't make a big fuss I don't stand in front of the building and say this is where I work you know come and come and come and meet me on in in real life uh, but you're right you have to accept that people will disagree with you and um and you have to be prepared to upset people because what you're often doing is you're upset their view and disagreeing with their opinions um, and those opinions are in the main wrong or not evidence-based you know you can say here's some papers on how the bacteria in raw feeding maybe we should pay attention to that or here's you know homeopathy doesn't work it never has worked plenty of studies you know that's very black and white um but obviously there are people who believe it does or you know, our advocates, you know, are absolutely wedded to the idea that their dog is a wolf. Um, and so you get huge amounts, you know, I do get huge amounts of pushback on, on online. And it's death, it's often incredibly unpleasant. It's, you know, yeah. the dark side. Um, but it's so important that we, you know, get the messages out there and, and use our professional knowledge and, and the evidence base that we have to communicate you're right you know you can have some really crazy fabulous papers come out in you know in in, in journals um but they need to translate to the real world and so that's you know something i've put a post up this evening about some papers that someone was someone was using some somebody found some papers and said well this is why high you know diet you know kibble based diets don't work for elimination diet trials and it was a load of papers who they tested a load of diets they found a load of undeclared ingredients because of cross-contamination in factories and they were arguing that therefore you know diet trials wouldn't work and you must feed a fresh diet you must 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 you know feed fresh food um so i went and i read the papers and actually the conclusion was exactly the opposite um, and what it showed was that hydrolyzed diets were not loads of diets were contaminated absolutely but not the kind that we use for diet trials um, so I put that up this evening um, and I don't I think it'll be a bit too highbrow to get too much pushback but you do get you do get a lot and it isn't always very pleasant well it's never very pleasant but you have to, it's so important you know the ordinary pet owner is out there desperate for good advice and the person who's standing in front of you in the consult room you know isn't a crazy homeopathy generally <laughs> advocate they just want to do the best for their animal and there's a huge amount of misinformation out there you know the 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 alternative choices and the you know raw choices and all of that and, and, and all of those which you know we can work with that's fine but the statements and the claims they make are outrageous sometimes um but they've totally got the march on us they've totally got the march on all of us and that is the information that's out there and that's prevalent and you know if you google what should i feed my dog like the first page is just full of raw is amazing raw is amazing raw is amazing raw is amazing and you're just like well that's not actually 
very balanced. And so I think we all vets, you know, and I think that's why I'm a huge supporter and advocate of any vet doing what I do. Or, and I'd love to see, you know, our, and like I can say the BVA getting better, but our organizations being a bit more forthright than they are. Um, because the ordinary pet owner is currently not very well served for good quality advice in some areas online, I think. And I think it's it's up to us to correct that. Okay. Well, you're busy doing that, definitely. So, I mean, the uh, a lot of a lot of our colleagues sort of would like to have a a better sort of uh, a social media presence or pretty much every veterinary practice these days has has a Facebook side and, and some go on Instagram and uh, uh, sort of two, three tips you would give sort of colleagues who are starting out and saying, okay, I have to improve on that. What, what would you say? What, what are just some, some simple tips for them? So I think if, if it's a veterinary practice, so a professional page for the vets, then you know just sharing pictures of your patients with full permission is brilliant you know and, and the by far the best um way to gain traction and followers and you know create that positive feeling about your clinic and really bond with your clients and be part of their world um finding good info there's often like great advice online about all sorts of things and you can join in and you know all the you know itchy skin awareness month and high blood pressure awareness month and all of those things so i think you know th those are two very easy content creator things um and you have to make a decision as a practice is you know if you are going to be slightly you know quote unquote controversial and say something about flat face dogs and the problems they have or diet choices or you know why vaccines are important information that will actually be very welcome and very well received by let's say 95% of your clients and followers but you are inevitably going to you know potentially upset some people and I think it's really you have to couch these things really carefully you know like for the brackets you're like look we know you love your pug and that's okay but here are some of the problems and here's you know how we have to fix them and and that you know that kind of thing if you are an individual you're obviously much freer to do whatever you wish to do online and to talk about you know although I would check your employment contract first and mm. and, and, and and figure out exactly what you're going to be allowed to do and what you're not going yep. to be allowed yeah. to do and whether you are allowed to take pictures of, pay, of clients animals and things and because you know I think if I was a practice owner I'd be a bit like well this is you know my business and that's you're seeing that patient but you know if you're taking a picture that's entirely for your own gain where where do I get that that back um but I think that you can be a lot freer but I think it's I think if you're going to be a professional in online you have to remain professional it's so important to be polite and um understanding and honest and you know not swear or anything like that I don't I never do anything like that and I just I just it just makes me a bit uncomfortable when people do but I guess that's their choice um you have to be prepared for a bit of pushback if you post something that people will not agree with um, and figure out how you're going to cope with that and I think um you have to decide why you're doing it I never really I never I have never ever done this with the aim of being famous <laughs> that's not what I've done it for <laughs> But some people do, and 
on the one hand, I'm like, well, you do you, you do you, boo. That's fine if that's what you want. But also, I do think it's a, I, it makes me slightly uncomfortable that sometimes it just comes across as a bit exploitative. I want to be famous, and I'm a vet, so I'm going to be a famous vet, and I'm just going to sort of piggyback my ambition on the back of this profession. I think if you are online as a professional, you're representing us all, mm-hmm. and you have to be very careful about yeah. how that comes across and also I think the final thing would be especially for an individual is just it you can completely underestimate the amount of time it takes and how and how challenging it can be and how stressful and it can be and how much it can take over your life you know if you want to build a profile and, and have a following and and do all of that you've got to be posting regularly and interesting content and my goodness that is a challenge and you know I see some new grads come out and are like I'm going to take you through my new grad life and I'm like that's fine but you've got quite a lot of other stuff on and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it actually at that part. It distracts, it distracts big time from a lot of other tasks. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, come and join, you know, come and join us and, 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 and dive in. It's, it's fun. And mm-hmm. like I say, the more the merrier when it comes to animal welfare and, and, and evidence-based medicine and sensible choices, but there, there is a, there's pros and cons pros and cons and it's a lot of work and it doesn't necessarily earn you any money so you know it has to be a passion project for sure well you 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 got some free scrap tops from it as i saw so that was good they look good on you well now i do earn money from the work that i do online and i do partner with companies and we do do i do do sponsored content um it's not nearly as much as people will probably think it's certainly you know i'm not going to leave practice anytime soon but yes it is now paying some degree of wage to make it worth my while continuing to do it but i would do it even if it even if that wasn't the case but yeah there is a certain there is a certain there is an income stream for me now from that and that's mainly comes from partnering with companies and again I think that's something that you know if you're going to be in this space you've got to kind of think about who you're going to partner with the due diligence that I do on people that I work with is massive like I just I turn such a lot down um and then sometimes I think well this is ridiculous that and I why am I turning away paid work but if I don't feel comfortable I just think if I wouldn't recommend it to my clients in real life then I'm not going to recommend it to people online um so you have to have a certain degree of well professional integrity is vital isn't it in everything that we do and particularly if we're doing it in the public space great thank you so much for this great chat and uh, um, again for the insight in sort of uh, vets and social media um, uh, if anyone would like to comment on this episode of the cover vet chat or has any ideas or for um, good uh, future vet chats and please email us on vetchat at thecover.org or contact us uh, via our social media presence Kat, thank you very much again for joining us for this episode and uh, I welcome everybody back again soon for another episode of the Cover Vet Chat. Take care. Bye. Bye.